Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you by Reedley College, educating the next generation of agriculturalists in advanced technology, efficient production practices, and food safety. Now here's your hosts of Voices of the Valley, Dennis Donahue and Candace Wilson. Welcome back to Voices of the Valley. This is Dennis Donahue and joined as always with uh, Candace Wilson. And Candace, we have a special couple of episodes coming up here and I'm certainly looking forward to them. We want to, uh, Western Growers lost a really good friend a couple of weeks ago and in Hank Gicklis, who was uh, the Senior Vice President of Science and Technology. And his life is worth celebrating and remembering Certainly we do as part of the Western Growers family, but I think you'd agree with me. It's a life worth noting because his contribution to the industry and his legacy to the industry and and really, and I'm kind of struck by, we've had a chance to visit with seven people. We're going to pull all that together for everyone. He really dropped some breadcrumbs to the future of the industry. You know, I mean, his work will live on. So I'm really pleased uh, that we're together on uh, something that, uh, I think is uh, important. And frankly, it's just been a real pleasure and joy to uh, hear folks describe their relationship with Hank. I couldn't agree more, Dennis. It has been for sure. You can tell through all of the interviews what a special man Hank was and what, you know, a lasting impression that he left on the industry. So I know for sure our listeners are going to enjoy hearing the reflections on everything he has contributed and and they'll leave kind of, I think, inspired just by his character and his contributions to the world in general. You're right. It's hard not to uh, come away with, uh, you know, I want to be a better person after hearing about hearing about his life. Well, to get us started, uh, we're going to have Dave Puglia, who's the president and CEO of Western Growers, kick things off for us. And then, uh, as I said, we've got uh, seven folks who are going to help us provide some uh, reflections and recollections about the life of Hank Icklis. So with that, we'll get to uh, Mr. Puglia. Dave, thanks for joining us. And, you know, before you get started, I've always been a big fan of your writing. So I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder to set the stage because I've already used the quote. You know, you talked about Hank being a treasured friend and uh, how difficult the loss this was for the Western Growers family and even the industry. But I, I just really love the phrase, you never knew anyone with a bigger heart and a softer soul than uh, than Hank Gicklis. And I think that's a, a great place to start. You know, and it's one of the reasons we wanted to pay tribute to Hank. And we'd like to think we have a nice following in the Western Growers family, but we know we have other folks who listen to Voices of the Valley. And we just think people should know about Hank. So with that in mind, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, let me turn it over to you for some uh, thoughts and reflections about Hank. Thank you, Dennis. And uh, thank you, Candace. It's a lot of reflections in the time since Hank has passed. Uh, that comment that you just quoted back to me was uh, a statement that I issued the day he passed. And it's very hard to write that statement. I hunkered down and shut everything off and spent probably two hours thinking about him and thinking about our shared experiences and thinking about what he meant to so many people, not just in the industry, but outside it as well. And uh, then the words kind of came pouring out. And so it was, it was a tough, tough day, but there's so much more even than what I was able to say that day. And so that's why this is this is really a nice opportunity for some of us to be able to share some additional reflections on Hank. As you noted, I'm president and CEO of Western Growers now, but uh, I am a 17-year veteran of Western Growers and started in 2005 
as vice president of state government affairs. So I was the head state lobbyist for California and Arizona and didn't really get to know Hank too quickly until uh, we had the spinach E. coli outbreak in 2006. And that prompted a flurry of legislation in Sacramento uh, that would have dictated the way we grow and harvest our leafy green crops. Uh, And not in a smart way, not in a scientific way, but given the gravity of that outbreak, uh, there was a pretty good chance that that legislation package of three bills would land on the governor's desk. And I felt that I couldn't guarantee I would get vetoes from Governor Schwarzenegger, given the situation and the severity of it. Uh, And all of that meant we had to move very quickly to both educate the legislature, inform them about the failings of the legislative approach, and stand up an alternative that could take the place of flawed legislation. And Hank was right in the middle of that. There's a photo that uh, we grabbed from the Sacramento Bee when he and I were testifying before a Senate committee in Sacramento on the outbreak. Uh, This is before that we had come up with the idea of creating the Leafy Greens marketing agreement. So at that moment in time, we were a little bit not flat-footed, but we were not well prepared to offer an alternative to legislation. And it was a tough, tough hearing. The author of the legislation was also the committee chair, a gentleman named Dean Flores, who very, very talented at conducting oversight, I'll put that in air quotes, knew his stuff to a point and uh, would drive very, very hard in in the questioning of witnesses. Uh, We had a three-witness panel, myself, Hank, and Jim Bogart, then uh, head of the Grower Shipper Association in Salinas. We came up to Sacramento, or those two gentlemen joined me in Sacramento. I lived there at the time, and we spent an entire day the day before, well into the night, going over every minute detail we could about the outbreak, about the legislation, about different provisions of the bills, how they would work or not work, gaming out where questioning could go and how we would respond and who would respond. And as we got into nine or 10 o'clock at night, it was just apparent to me, stunningly obvious to me, and I think to Jim as well, this is all about Hank. I could offer little here uh, other than coaching on how to handle a legislative committee. That was my business. Jim looked to Hank as the expert, as we all did. And so we just kind of came to this realization after a long day of preparing. I think I finally just said, you know, I think we're done here, Hank. You're going to have to handle this whole thing. I'll be there at your side. I'll try and deflect anything or take any hostile questions, but it's on you. And those who know Hank know that he was not one to seek a stage or seek a spotlight. Uh, I don't think he feared those moments, but he was so deferential to others that he would quickly find a reason not to be in the spotlight. But here we had a very bright spotlight that was going to be on the three of us and especially on Hank. And he handled it beautifully. We had really sharp questions, all of them we had anticipated. Hank batted all of them down very politely, very astutely, in a very civil, diplomatic way. Uh, And during all of it, as the hearing was going on, I realized I really don't need to be here. And just at that moment, I think, is when a Sacramento Bee photographer took this photo and it was the three of us sitting up at the dais testifying, or rather two of us watching Hank testify. And, and I have a look on my face as I'm staring at Hank thinking, go, man, go, because it's all on you. <laughs> and, and sure enough, you know, not long after that, we came up with the notion of a leafy green marketing agreement and, and, and the rest really is history. And Hank was just so fundamental to all of it, to handling the crisis of the moment, to helping us come up with a solution that would give confidence to the industry and to our consumers and to the governor to be able to say no to bad legislation. So uh, really my first experience with Hank was that trial by fire. And I was there really more as an observer than anything else. It's just amazing talent, amazing depth of knowledge, 
I always just admired, appreciated that Hank um, had both a wellspring of knowledge about our 300 plus commodities in the fresh produce industry, regional differences in the way they're grown and the needs of those growers and handlers, and was always so grounded, pun intended, to their priorities and their needs, um, sometimes to the exclusion of the world around him. He was so grower-centric. And that really is supposed to be the heart of the Western growers culture. And he just walked it every day. And I just admired about that about him. And I, I took that to heart myself, um, watching Hank's example. Just earlier, that example of what you just said, for me, what Hank did embody Western growers and the culture of Western growers. I remember sitting um, in several different committee meetings with him and he would always, when the group was turning to him for guidance, he would almost always deflect it back to the committee and the team and try to really let them come to the right consensus. And I just always, it was so apparent to me that he viewed the members as his customer for a lack of better words. Absolutely. He never forgot that. In fact, all of us who knew him well in, in our shared memories now and the time that has passed since Hank left us, I said this in the statement I wrote the day he passed and many others have said the same thing, that Hank had this immense capacity for humility and for sharing credit or giving credit to others, uh, for partnership and collaboration like no one I've ever seen. Uh, but I, I also don't think people should assume that that means there was no fire in that belly because there was. And we all saw it at times. I know I did, particularly when Hank observed or experienced an industry partner. And again, I'll put that in air quotes and leave that to the imagination, uh, who would walk over his work, uh, disregard his work, try and alter the trajectory of a project that the industry was working on in order to benefit some other element of our supply chain or of our industry at the expense of growers. When he sensed that was happening, you would often see and hear the change in him as righteous indignation kind of came welling out. And he would sometimes grit his teeth and put his head down and he'd say to me and Tom Nassif, whoever was in the room, this really pisses me off. (laughs) (laughs) And when he did that, I loved it. I thought right on, Hank fight, man, fight. And he would, he had plenty of fight in him. He just knew his effectiveness was in collaboration, was in the sharing of expertise, was in trust, and was in the knowledge that no one in a, in a room or in discussion could outmaneuver him in understanding agronomics and the needs of our members at the grower level. And so it wasn't often that someone could outflank him or try to walk over his work. As I said, but it happened and, or they tried to. And when it did, we'd see that flash of righteous indignation and we'd rally our forces and we'd make it right. But I, I appreciated that. I saw him at times where I thought he would flash that sense of anger or being hurt by the actions of others where I thought I would see it and it didn't come. And I was thinking about this the other day, where did Hank show righteous anger and where did he not? And it suddenly occurred to me in all my experiences with him There were moments in time where Hank, as any human would have been, would have felt hurt or angered by our own members, expressing frustration about an issue, about a challenge. Sometimes they take it out on us as staff. The world around us is complicated. Government at the state and federal level is always very helpful. Sometimes their their righteous indignation at what is, is affecting their businesses, sometimes it gets redirected to us a little bit as staff. I get that. It's okay. 
But it suddenly occurred to me as I was thinking about that, that when Hank had every right to be a little bit hurt or angry at the way he was being blamed for forces beyond his control, but trying to manage them to the best outcome possible, he never was angry. He was instantly forgiving because he always knew that he represented growers and that growers have a right to get a little cranky given the foolish regulations and the foolish standards that are often imposed upon them. And that Hank was the man in the middle. He had to try and help them find a uh, valid, usually science-based pathway forward. And he pretty much always did. And so I, I thinking about that, I really hope that those on, in the industry who sometimes got a little frustrated and maybe took it out on Hank, I hope they thought back on that and they, they're uh, looking upstairs to him and asking him for a pass because <laughs> you'll be the first one to give him a pass. You know, just thinking back over his career and you, you alluded to this, I mean, the, the breadth of his knowledge was extraordinary. You know, in, in the innovation world, we've been thinking a lot about automation and data and food safety. And, you know, his government affairs background is obviously was very helpful when you navigated Sacramento around the E. coli. But, you know, we're getting ready to focus on, you know, biologicals and, you know, from an agronomy standpoint, I mean, just if ever we had a kind of a renaissance man in our midst when it comes to all things ag, it, it was Hank. I, I mean, I'm not quite sure how you get to know that much, <laughs> even though he had a fairly lengthy career. I mean, he was just extraordinarily intelligent. Extraordinarily intelligent, extraordinarily perceptive. I wrote about him that he's that rare person who possesses an incredibly strong capacity for strategic vision to look around corners and then to articulate and develop a plan, a tactical plan that gets you around the corner and meets objectives and execute on it. You don't see that in our world all the time. That's a pretty rare bird, but that was Hank. And as you said, Dennis, he never seemed to be able to say no to taking on additional challenges as his vision expanded. And, and you mentioned it. I mean, all of the work all of the progress, all of the focus and attention, all of the investment that has transpired in the special crop industry around ag tech traces back to me to really two people, to Bruce Taylor and Hank Giglis. You know, Bruce had the vision that he spoke to as he was leaving the chairmanship post of the Board of Western Growers, uh, sort of the charge of the industry, let's quit trying to outcompete each other on the stuff that is a common challenge to all of us, regulatory burdens, things like that. Let's see if we can drop our competitive instincts there, apply our shared energy and resources to bring technology forward that gets us around those barriers to success. Then we can beat each other up in the marketplace, as, as Bruce put it, I think, at the time. But everything following that was Hank's vision. The Center for Innovation and Technology, the uh, partnership with venture capital firms, people we wouldn't have even known about, but for Hank's knowledge and outreach to them to start bringing that intensive capital focus into the specialty crop industry, and so much more that has transpired in the time since that vision was articulated by both Bruce and by Hank. It's just an amazing record of accomplishment there. And, and again, he was the first person to deflect. If you tried to honor him, if you tried to raise him up for all to applaud, he would find some reason to not show up that day. He just had to fight to get him to accept a, an award. <laughs> Dave, I've been trying to, we've been trying to uncover what really got some good belly laughs going for Hank. He was always so stoic and composed. And for me, I remember seeing him laughing really hard several times 
And I don't remember the exact story, but it was so for, in my experience, it was a rare happening when he really, really was just expressive in terms of a good belly laugh. Any funny stories or any times that you remember that of Hank? There is one that comes to mind. I mentioned it as people know, Hank enjoyed a good cigar. And that's right. He and I once left the office here in Orange County and went to a cigar lounge in Costa Mesa nearby place he knew of course i never knew anything about it i like a good cigar now and then but not with the frequency that hank did so we head into this cigar bar and spend a couple hours enjoying cigars and then i go off home and my wife leslie immediately chastises me because i stink <laughs> and have got to remove my clothes they got to go to the cleaners and you get in the shower don't you dare come back out so fast forward maybe I don't know, six months or a year. I can't remember exactly, but we were back in DC for our DC board meeting, which would have been in May. And Hank tells me during one of our dinners, what are you doing after dinner? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? Go back to the hotel. And he said, yeah, there's a really good cigar place here. I always go, you want to come with me? I said, yeah. So off we go to Shelley's in the middle of DC for cigars. And cutting the story short, I fly home, unzip my bag, and Leslie chews me out again because my (laughs) clothes all stink. So the next day I come into the office and told Hank, you got to stop dragging me to cigar bars. Leslie's getting really pissed. He keeps having to send my clothes to the cleaner. He belly laughed so hard. He thought that was just the funniest thing he had heard. He was <laughs> so happy that I had been, been um, taken to the woodshed by, by my wife, thanks to Hank's bad influence. <laughs> right. I, I, I think that's the first time I've heard those words together, Hank and bad influence. Right. Who, right. who, who, who knew? So, Dave, uh, no, this has been a a terrific visit and a lot of just really warm and and sincere words on your part. Any any final thoughts? Like like I said, we just think, and I think we've consistently heard, Hank was just special enough that we we really need to take note of what he meant to the industry and the type of person he was. So, just any any final thoughts? Well, I think you know. Hopefully, we've captured a sense of him. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about his family, his love of his family. But that certainly came through. Any of us who knew him well, if you could divert him for a moment from work when Henry was playing high school football, for example, Hank had a photo of of Henry in his football uniform on his desk. And so I'd ask how Henry's doing on the team and we'd go off for about 10 minutes talking football and he would just beam. And the same with Hannah when Hannah went off to med school. And of course he loved Kathy to the ends of the earth. And all of that makes it a little more painful when you think about the family, when you think about Kathy and the kids, that we've lost Hank too soon. But all of it is consistent with the heart and the soul that we knew as his professional colleagues and friends. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the, the family because, you know, he had time for all of them. But, you know, so you listen to everything he did in his career. Obviously, there was an occasional cigar in there, so that's good to hear. You knew how to relax. But he really had time for his family, knew him, was involved in their lives. And I just think that's a great point. I mean, it speaks to a really balanced looking life. I mean, he he just got it all done. Just had an amazingly large heart and got it all done. He was, I relocated from Sacramento to Orange County in 2013 and had not been here very long. In fact, it was before I even relocated down here. I was house hunting and I was down for a week or so. And uh, Hank asked me to come over and have dinner with Kathy and him. And you know, no one else did that. Not that I expected anyone else to, but that's Hank. He was the first one to think, you know, this poor guy's living down here in a hotel for a week looking for houses. He probably could use a home-cooked meal and had me over for dinner. That's just kind of typical Hank. It's a small thing to a lot of people, but he's the guy who would think of that and then act on it. 
and open his heart. You're, wow. you're reminding me also of advice that Hank gave me when I had my first son. We were just talking about being a new mom and you know managing my career and the family and everything. And his tip was do whatever you can to be home for dinner. And he was really proud about the fact that even when he was traveling or, you know, had a ton on his plate, it was always his goal to get home and have dinner with his family. And I thought it was really sweet. You know, I know, I know we're closing, but that's a great point. Cause I remember we'd schedule meetings and if I would do something at dinner, he was like, isn't there a way we can, you know, can we do that earlier in the day? And he was on the road himself when he'd say that, but you know, he respected the fact that it's good for folks to be home with their families for dinner. No, that's a great point. So uh, Dave, uh, I think you've really helped us capture the warmth and, you know, the life of Hank. And, you know, you you had a lengthy uh, time uh, to spend with him and you saw him in all quarters. And uh, we really appreciate your words. And I, I know I'm repetitive and I've always admired your writing. And I just, you hit it out of the park with big heart and soft soul. So we appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you for doing this. It's been a real honor to be part of this work. It's not really work. No, no, it's 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 something we we wanted to do. We think it's just it's it's appropriate besides the folks beyond our immediate family know about him. So our our contribution to the cause. Happy to do it. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. And then uh, we've got a really special guest, the Secretary of California's Department of Food and Agriculture, Karen Ross, who uh, I think will have some great insights in Hank. And one, and one of the things I wanted to share with you, Karen, because it's really timely, is we visited with Peter Rand Hilton of New Zealand as part of this particular uh, tribute to Hank because he provided an international perspective about Hank's role in, in the industry and how something that you're very close to, and, and it's really a current event, really in large our, our relationship with New Zealand and the ag tech world in large part stems from a, a trip that Hank made. So, you know, as um, we reminisce, the guy was everywhere. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, he really was. I knew Hank for a very long time because I'm old. I've been around California for a long time, but he was one of the first people that I met. And the thing, you know, I've reflected a lot about Hank because at this stage in my career, it's seeing people come and go and what did they mean and how did you really work with them? And there was a period of intense working together and then more for me, observation of all the other things that he was doing. First of all, he's very tall. <laughs> so when you walked yes, into a room, you would notice. And there was something, he was very quiet, like I want to say understated. He was a very humble person, I think, but you knew he loved what he was doing and he knew a lot about it because he loved the industry and the people in it. And so he spent, you could tell he spent a lot of time in the field, in the packing houses to really understand who he was talking about when he first was doing advocacy in the Capitol. And it was over time. And I'm trying to remember, because he went to Arizona for a while and then he came back in science and technology. And I'm trying to think where it was, we started looking at, you know, specialty crops and how could we work together to really not sign up for payments. That was never what was intended. It was about, this is a critically important part of the diet. We're foundational to nutrition. There should be more research. This farm bill is about six or seven commodities, not to take anything away from them. But if we can't from California start this effort around specialty crops 
and really talk about investment. How do we unleash the innovation that's made us successful already? And so that's where we really started to collaborate a lot around a farm bill and couldn't we find ways to work with some of the environmental community on the things we had in common to really hold up the true value of California agriculture because of our specialty crops and the innovation that they demonstrated to hold that up nationally to try to get traction. And so we fed, you know, behind the scenes because there's much bigger players on the national stage, but we really put together a coalition to start to weigh in on that, what we could do with the conservation title and in the research title and on the invasive species title. Those were three that I just really remember. But then I got into a different line of work and the whole conversation around sustainability. And that's where I just have to tell you some of my fondest memories are sitting around different boardroom tables, but the one at Western Growers in your old offices. And it was with Jeff DeLott, who he and he and Hank really bonded, you know, these two scientists and they can walk out on the policy and the science of all the stuff we were talking about and how to apply it to real living policy that has to work for the industry. And surprisingly, Jonathan Kaplan from NRDC, who was focused on sustainable ag as part of the NRDC portfolio and watching the respect that they had for each other based on, you know, intellect, trying to take emotion out of the conversation, how to apply science and data for decision-making. And that led to us trying to start this stewardship index for specialty crops, which we knew had to involve different perspectives to be successful. And what we really wanted it to do is engage the supply chain, especially our retailers, because everyone was trying to have their own measurement and audit for sustainability. And our grand dream was we could get one stewardship index to try to get people there. Um, and it had a lot of individual commodities, a lot of different organizations, you know, brought in the Walmarts and some Kroger's and people like that. And I just remember how much respect people had for Hank when he talked. Because he took the emotion out, but they could see how much he cared, that he had a passion for the industry, that he would lead with science and data, but he always listened to others. And he left space to identify all the things we have in common and not focus on all the ways we might have differences. And there were differences. And so he is just one of those walking, listening giants who could listen to a lot of different perspectives and help bring people together. Well, I'm struck by, as we've listened to some of our guests, you know, that ability to kind of be in the intersection of a lot of different voices and, mm-hmm. and his civility. And boy, you, you have to think that's a heck of a roadmap, you know, that maybe part of his legacy is, hey, we need to think about here's how you engage yes. and, and you actually get some things done. You yes, know? absolutely. Absolutely. His ability to bring science because sometimes that doesn't matter, especially in the lawmaking itself. It becomes critically important in the regulatory process because oftentimes these bills are somewhat vague and they can go different pathways once they get to the regulators who are just sitting there going, how do we write a regulation for this and have it be something that can actually be, we can actually implement it and try not to overly, I know that most listeners here won't believe, we also really want to focus on not overly burdening the people who have to implement it in the field. 
and that we can verify that it's happening. And that's especially where people like Hank, patients, good communicators, listening and trying to understand where the regulator is trying to you know, chart a way through this maze and bring science to that policy and the practical application and the willingness to listen to different ways of going about it. It's a hugely important skill set. And it's a talent, again, that depends on being intelligent, being passionate about your industry, leaving space for conversation to listen to different perspectives, and really keep coming back to data and science lead us this way and helping to bring that to be like just foundational without preaching about it, laying out the case, you know? Well, it is interesting. Everything flows back to that data and science. But what's also interesting is if, and you know, you're at the throttle of uh, California Ag, or maybe, or I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm sure you, you don't always feel like that. But you know, all of the issues associated with what what I'm struck by is we've kind of built this composite of Hank. You know, whether it's crop protection, you know, whether it's inputs, whether it's automation, whether it's food safety. And you've introduced, you know, sustainability, and then of course data and science. Mm-hmm. He was literally just quietly part of the scene for a couple of decades and quite knowledgeable about everything. I mean, he, he was, yeah. And you, you know, know, yeah. And when you think about what makes successful teams or what makes successful trade associations, because Western growers is a very successful one. And it's a part of my past career that I really enjoyed that ability to work with growers from all different parts of the state on state positions and policies You can't be successful if you don't have people like Hank who are part of that team. There have to be people who are the face and, you know, have a certain amount of charisma, whatever you want to call it, to really bring that external facing face to it. But you're nothing without the people like the Hanks of the world who do the work, know their stuff, provide the data, do the hard things. Like when you think about the leafy green marketing agreement, that took a lot of people, a lot of brain power, and it was the Hanks of the world who worked with some of our scientists to really like, but how do we translate that to paper, to checklists, to the guidebook, to something that's real that retailers can have confidence in? That's hugely important to successful teams. Well, and, you know, and as we kind of finish up here, now I'm going to ask you for a final thought. You just used the phrase to do the work. And, you know, besides knowing everything he knew, he did the work. He did the work. And, knew, uh, and you can always count on him, which is why he probably got loaded up to the max way too many times. There's something about someone who's tall and kind and humble is they rarely say no. He probably should have said no a few more times, except that he loved the work because he loved the people that made up Western growers. No, he, 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 he really did. And, and, you know, we were chatting with a couple of folks and, uh, you know, one of the insights that folks shared, and then I, I happen to remember it because occasionally I never got in trouble, but he'd occasionally look at me and go, Dennis, don't have night meetings. People need to be home for dinner with their family. With their family. And that was a principle for him. Yes. And that was a kindness and an integrity and a reflection of his faith that he didn't like trot out in really flagrant kinds of ways. It just made Hank the person that he was and why he enjoyed such broad respect from so many different kinds of people. Well, those are some terrific memories and words. And uh, and any final thoughts? I think you've uh, just uh, really paid homage into them in a wonderful way, but uh, any, any final thoughts? You know, one of the things I'm trying to, oh, I was at a county office just yesterday and it talked about 
none of us are anything. We stand on the shoulders of giants. And Hank was one of those giants in my life, physically, as well as just the person who would do the work and was just such a great colleague, such a great colleague. Well, those are terrific words. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to share those thoughts. I know folks are, uh, you know, one of the nice things about this podcast and the Western Growers family is pretty big, but we also felt it was important that others know, hey, this was somebody special. So thanks for helping us uh, bring that out. We it was an honor it. to be asked. Yeah, it truly was. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Karen. Thank you. Good to see you. Well, Candace, uh, we're continuing our uh, tribute to uh, Mr. Gickless. And I think our next guest is a pretty interesting one because she had a front row seat to his career at Western Growers, and particularly the last several years of, of his time at Western Growers. Delighted to uh, say hello to Sonia Salas, who uh, these days is the assistant vice president of science, but had a, uh, you know, as I said, you know, when we thought about it and folks we talked to, I was looking forward to this conversation because really nobody worked as closely with Hank as you did. So we're delighted to have you kind of weigh in and talk a little bit about, you know, your thoughts of Hank, what type of person he was, your work together, and then, you know, his significance to the industry. And if you've got anything personal to throw in, uh, feel free. So with that, Sonia, welcome. We're delighted to see you. Thank you, Dennis and Candice. I really appreciate the invitation today. It's really, for me, a, a blessing to be able to be here today and be able to talk about Hank, of all things. I met Hank in 2009 when I was promoted to science and technology manager of Western Growers. And I had the opportunity to work with him for over 10 years as his direct report, but I never saw him as, as, as my boss. And, and I don't mean it in an unrespectful way. I mean, he was such a kind, uh, smart person. It, it just made you feel comfortable. So I always saw him as a, as a colleague of mine and a mentor. And with that, you know, I got a chance to meet him professionally and also at a personal level. I have many good memories of him. I learned a lot from him. And I say a lot because there is a lot to to discuss. And I know there's limited time, but he really uh, shaped my career, at least um, most part of the years that I've been uh, part of Western Growers. I'm reaching my 15 year anniversary soon. So he certainly influenced my life. I learned from him many different things. So yes, anything you want to know, uh, be happy to share. Well, you know, it's interesting your comment about how you felt in terms of a colleague, you know, because technically, we worked for Hank. I mean, I I did too, but I never felt like I worked for him. I felt like I worked with him. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's how most folks felt regardless of the scenario they found himself involved with him. So you, you know, coming in at 2009, when you think, think back, what were some of the professional uh, situations you can think back where, you know, your work was particularly significant or a lot of intensity? You know, you came in after the spinach crisis of 2006. But, you know, Western growers and Hank uh, are dealing with a lot of the important things uh, pretty routinely. What what stands out? Yeah, yes. From the beginning, I had to get ahead of many things. And I worked really close with the leafy grain industry. He um, was great in providing background and he had so much knowledge, right? So he carried this historical knowledge, this, um, you know, company knowledge and industry knowledge that it really made it easier for me to um, jump in and help and support. 
I, you know, if you ask about something kind of serious and, and professional, something that I learned from him, it's kind of hard because he had a sense of humor to almost every single situation. He made it, uh, you know, always there was something positive. But I'll tell you something that's a little bit kind of serious, I suppose, and I haven't really shared with a lot of people, but that really told me a lot about his character, his personality, and also how much he believed in me. And I remember that to this day. I think it was just right after I was uh, promoted to that role of science and technology manager within Western Growers that he gave me the opportunity to run some of the online webinars Western Growers uh, hosts periodically. And I remember my role was mainly to facilitate that, present speakers. And one time, uh, I think it was probably one of the first webinars that I, I was able to facilitate, there was a complaint uh, from one of the attendees. And basically, the compa- complaint was, uh, Western Girls should not have someone with an accent as a facilitator, right? With a stronger words. And, you know, I English is my second language. And I remember that he wasn't comfortable to hear that, but he stood by my side. I remember he um, he knew English was my second language and I was working uh, to improve my accent and presentation skills. And, and he knew that. So with a very professional response, he, he told this person that, you know, I was working on improving my skills, but he was planning to continue to support me. Right? He, he believed in me from the beginning. It's going to be a silly example, but at, at the same time, it just shows you, you know, he believed in the people he worked with. And that helped, I think, a lot in the in the way we worked together. I felt like, you know, I had a partner. We were partners, and and that really made it enjoyable. He loved the produce industry so much that his love for it and commitment for it was contagious. And I think now I have, you know, some of that ingrained because of, of the way he was and how contagious that is. So that that's one kind of serious <laughs> story. But the other one isn't as serious, it's more funny, I suppose. It's uh, that first time he introduced me to the uh, Leafy Rains Marketing Agreement Technical Committee when we were driving to uh, the Salinas area. I remember that we had to go together. And as we were walking to the meeting location, he started to say uh, funny things. He's like, oh, my goodness, um, I'm so sorry about this, Sonia, but I hope that when you, uh, you know, when we go there, they don't laugh at us because of me. <laughs> Basically, they're going to say, here is the circus coming together. <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so tall. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm sorry. I'm so short. So basically, uh, what was funny is, you know, Hank was six plus. I don't know exactly what it was, uh, but he was a really tall person. And I barely get to almost five feet. So it was interesting to see us together. But we did a lot of things together. So I have really great memories from him. I love that story. So now I know you said that he offered so much to you professionally, but are there a few things that you feel like marks that he really left on you when you think about your career and how you lead people to, how do you want to kind of follow in Hank's footsteps? That's a great question. So when I think about Hank, I think about servant leadership. He was a man of faith, uh, integrity, really smart, visionary thinker. And he served people. He served because he was humble, yet he was uh, a leader, right? So in many times, it's really hard for people to comprehend how those two things come together. So I think that that's really helped me through my career to enjoy what I do. Because as when we help others, 
I think we find joy. And, and part of my job is really to help, to support, to promote the fresh produce industry. And so that's something I, I, I owe to him. Um, I had some of those traits, but he just made it for me easier to see why being like that, it's something is good and positive. You know, one of the things that's kind of come out, you know, and you mentioned being a person of faith. There's been some conversations about uh, his love of his family. And then and then we shared. And this one I was uh, on the other end. I mean, it was it was a gentle other end. But it was like, hey, Dennis, do we have to schedule stuff at night? People need to be home with their families. And uh, he was really committed to that. And I think one of the things I'm struck by when you look back, I mean, there wasn't anything he didn't seem to know. He did things well, and he had time to, you know, have some balance in his life as uh, as well. And, you know, you probably, uh, with you two, the circus came to town a lot. So you probably did see him. <laughs> you know, you, you uh, probably saw him uh, more, than, more than anyone. And, uh, you know, I'm just really struck about, you know, his commitment to family for everybody. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, he was on the road more than I was, but I certainly was on the road with him often. And I can tell you that he made every effort to return home the same day if possible. So if we were going to Yuma for a meeting, he will drive the same day and come back the same day, even if, you know, the meeting was a three or four hour meeting. He will do that because he said, you know, we'll make every effort moving forward to be home every night, every every time I can. <laughs> so he really, really put his family, um, you know, in a high level in his life. And that's uh, something that we all got to remember, right? He he will say something about Kathy, his wife, many times, you know, nice things. Like, he, I remember one thing, he, he was funny. He'll say things like, I'm the head of the family and Kathy is the neck. You know, she, she tells me where to go and what to do. Just, it, it goes insane. You know, he, he took seriously his his life and, and love for family. And yeah, he called Kathy my bride. And really shows his commitment to family and, and work, both. Well, as we kind of finish up our, our reflections, you've been terrific, very, very personal. And that's really the side, you know, we, I don't think you can talk about Hank with really his personal attributes, but uh, anything to share about just how the industry or folks in various professions, the regulation side or whatever, how they viewed Hank, uh, you know, because uh, he seems to get high marks everywhere he goes. Yeah, you're totally right, Dennis. I have received different awards uh, through the years, LGMA checkmark, some others. Um, he was quoted on several books, articles in the news, as you know, really well known by many in the produce industry, not just industry, but academia, government, any different stakeholders you can think of. They all knew Hank. So the insight, the insight that he shared with me and with others based on his experiences and his view of a brighter future for the produce industry. I think it will be a lasting legacy. Yeah, his contributions are and will continue to be remembered in future years to come. So, you know, from that perspective, just his vision, a very specific example is like over a decade ago, he was uh, talking about the need for data sharing and analytics and a different way to do food safety in the produce industry. And so his many years of work, you know, his years, he was... Uh, socializing that idea. He was uh, opening the path for that. And as, as you know, now Western Growers has developed the first food safety data sharing platform that allows analytical you know, outcomes from the data that's being collected. And it's really changing the way the food safety um, 
activities and best practices can be useful and implemented in farms. So, you know, it's becoming a reality, but in order for that to happen, there was a visionary that, that really created the way towards that. We have great leadership now. Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to see that happening through the years. And you know, one thing I didn't say, Hank was a foodie. <laughs> so every time we'll go to Yuma, uh, we have already or, you know, places to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was hard to be stay on diet well you know you know what we'll do is we'll we'll let the record show hank was also a foodie amongst his many other attributes thank you for the invitation really appreciate it yeah thank you sonia uh, terrific words uh, very personal and a lot of warmth and then also you know really underscoring uh, he was an important figure in our industry and he'll leave a legacy so thank you for really personalizing that on a day-to-day basis Thank you for doing this. Candice, I think it's been terrific to talk to so many people and uh, we'll look forward to uh, pulling all this together and, you know, make sure that the Voices of the Valley uh, contributes to the legacy of Hank Giklis. We've heard some very, very sweet comments about Hank's life and all of his contributions to the industry. And in fact, there were so many people that wanted to come forward and willing to participate in this tribute that we're going to have to cut it into two episodes. So for all of our Voices of the Valley listeners out there, there will be a second episode honoring Hank Giklis. So stay tuned for the next series. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley podcast, brought to you today by Reedley College. To learn more about Reedley College's Agriculture and Natural Resources program and the courses offered in ag technology, food safety, and plant science, you can visit reedleycollege.edu.